Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. to and I'm actually introducing once I stand and as old kids are spin they run out I wish we could get that enthusiasm with all of our adults as well it'd be great well good morning it's good to be with you today I look forward to coming and I've known of your church for some time I've talked with uh, Pastor Horn a number of times and we we talked about working out but never got quite together so I'm glad to be able to be here today Barbara is not with me that's my wife we've been married 52 years now does not seem to you know, it should be that long. Uh, I'm 74 years old, and I really honestly thought it'd take longer to get this old. Uh, you know, I'm really kind of amazed. I had two people this last week ask me when I was going to retire, which always makes you feel bad. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, uh, I was introduced a few weeks ago, and the pastor's a young guy, and he, he starts saying, Tom has been preaching for years and years and years. <laughs> And the more he said that, the older I felt that, you know. Anyway, it's good to be with you today. We, uh, this is a special time of year. I, I love the Christmas season. Now, I, I have to tell you, I really don't like winter. But, uh, you know, we have to get what we get. We live here, so, you know, what it is. And, uh, but I do love the Christmas season. I love the songs. I like the, especially like the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. That's one of my favorites, so thank you. And, uh. It is a special time of year. Pastor and I are going to go. I'm going to take him down to New York City, actually, New, uh, Hicksville, uh, neighboring in, on Long Island, First Baptist Church. We're going to attend a pastor's conference on Tuesday, and then I'll bring him back, I promise. And I'm looking forward to have, spending some time with him. He is one of my closest friends, and so it's always a blessing to, to have an opportunity of fellowship with him and his wife. Barbara felt bad that she would not be able to, to come with me on this trip because she was, uh, would like to visit with Pat. And I said, well, you just saw her a couple weeks ago. And she said, what makes you think we were finished? <laughs> so uh, always more to say, isn't there? Well, as things go on, if you were here, I depressed you. I, I realized that. If you look around the world, boy, we're in trouble. Uh, America's in trouble. And we're in trouble because we've forgotten God. We've pushed God out, and we're in trouble now. Previous generations of Americans, when there was a crisis, would call on God for prayer. Congress, during the Revolutionary War, 17 times that counted, called the nation to come together to pray. But during the COVID crisis, whether it being during the Trump years or the Biden years, I only heard one time a call for prayer, and the media basically forgot about it, so you probably didn't even know what happened. We are forgetting God. We're forgetting the God who made us a great nation. We're forgetting the God who sustains us and God who protects us. Now, I've had discussions with people that God is no longer blessing America. If he wasn't blessing America, we wouldn't still be here, friends. But I wonder how long his patience will last. God is long-suffering toward us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God in his mercy is not is withholding his hand of judgment, but there are consequences. When you're going the wrong way, God sends reproofs of life. And we're seeing those reproofs whether it be COVID or the, all the other crises I mentioned this morning, uh, those are reproofs of life. You go the wrong way, reproofs, that tells you you're going the wrong way. Turn around, repent. 
prodigal son, remember, ended up in the pig pen, proofs of life. And when he came to himself, he said, why am I here? Why are we in this fix? Why have we called on God? In the midst of the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln asked that question and said, uh, call the nation to prayer, April 1863. And that was the beginning of the end of the war. Well, I, I did want to mention the literature. There are 25 booklets in the back table. The series is called The Truth About. It's talking points, gives a biblical perspective on the issues of our day. There are 25 topics, so you should find something that interests you. In particular, there's one that's laying on the table. It's called Critical Race Theory. I'd recommend that you get that one because that's, that is a theory, a philosophy that's undermining America today and really literally destroying our country. So I, that's one, but you're welcome to any of them. They're all free. The other thing is I publish a newsletter once a week. I take one main story uh, from the news and give a biblical perspective on it, or at least I try to, and then um, give an update on what's going on in the country, what's going on in the state, and then a little update on our ministry to tell you where I'm going to be preaching and that kind of thing. So that comes by email. It comes from Daryl Zigafoos. So when you get it, if you sign up for it, it'll come from Daryl. Uh, it'll have the date, the Arise Ministry and the date in the memo. We never asked you for money. Uh, you know, we're not going to call you for anything. Uh, don't give out the names to anybody. So, uh, you know, and occasionally we have had somebody try to clone us, and, you know, it happens. But uh, we, you, you can, can download the document. It comes to it as a PDF. You can download the document safely, and it should be a blessing to you. If you sign up, the sign-up sheet is there. Please write clearly. Daryl Zigafoos is, I think, 84 now, and he gets a little testy if he can't read it. And he blames me, so I don't, you know, so be kind to me. I'd appreciate it. First time in a church, I usually preach, uh, this has been my habit really since 2000, to preach from Romans 13. But today, I, I just couldn't get away from a passage that I've preached before. And I hesitated because your pastors heard the sermon by, on tape. But this really fits in. Now, there are a lot of passages that could pull you out of that depression I put you in, or distress. And that is, what we have to do is, is like Peter, when he started sinking, what he needed to do to, to get out of that situation is turn his eyes to Jesus. Our hope is not in a politician. Our hope is not in who controls Congress, or who's in the governor's office, or who controls the legislature. Our hope has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe God has brought us through the last few years so that we'd learn that lesson as Christians. Maybe that's what part of this is what God wanted us to learn. Uh, the passage I'm going to use is found in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus has gathered with his disciples for the last time before the crucifixion. It's the night before his arrest, betrayal, arrest, trial, and crucifixion. He has some things he wants to say to them. Last words are important. Uh, I've been by people that were about to die and Often, last words are very, very important. And these are the last words of our Savior to his inner circle, the 12. Now, in chapter 13, 
we have Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room and he washes their feet. He's demonstrating his humility, servanthood. He, the Bible says, having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. When you get to chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you're really on holy ground. I sometimes almost feel when I'm reading that passage of scripture that I ought to take off my shoes because I'm on holy ground. Because Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them some things that they need to know and they're really not ready for what's going to happen. The rug is going to be pulled out from under them. The worst days of their life are about to happen. Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be dragged away. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. And they had thought that he was the Messiah. They had staked their lives on the belief that he was the Son of God. And he's going to be gone. For three days, they're going to go through agony. And yet, he told them the truth to start with. They just didn't get it. They didn't understand it. I wonder how many things we go through in panic, forgetting that God knows what he's doing. Verse 33, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, Father, I pray that you would help us as we look at some of these things that you said that night. Things that can help us get through times of crisis, get through times of trouble. We pray, God, that you would show us what we need to know. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, these things have I spoken to you that in me you might have peace. When you read that, the question ought to come to your mind, what things did he say? I don't have time to share all the things he said. We'd be here a long time, but I'm going to share three of the things that he said that can help us. The first one is found in chapter 14. It begins, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself. Though where I am, you may be also. Where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, uh, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. This is the promise of heaven. During the COVID crisis, talking with pastors, I asked the question, what is the thing that surprised you the most about the COVID crisis? And the number one answer, almost universally, was I was surprised how fearful my people are. And I said, well, what are they afraid of? And he said, by and large, they're afraid to die. Now, folks, that really ought not to be for Christians. Uh, what does it mean to die? For the Christian, it's to gain. Right? I mean, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, what happens the moment you shut your eyes in death? Well, you open your eyes in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Is that so bad? 
I mean, I haven't died before, I understand, and I haven't experienced it, but I've been around a lot of people who did. Greta Wolf was a 90-year-old woman in my church in Otsego, Michigan. Greta was maybe 90 pounds dripping wet. And she had been told that she had an aneurysm, and if the aneurysm ever broke, she would be dead within 15 minutes. Inoperable, I couldn't do anything about it. She went to the hospital for a pre-op, and they examining her, they discovered that it indeed had broken. So I was called and said, you better get down there immediately, she's, she's gonna die. So I went, expecting to see this frail woman laying in a bed in the emergency, when the emergency, she's still there, and I uh, you know, called out and she's coming in and I opened the curtain and she's sitting up in bed, big smile on her face, she said, Pastor, it's my graduation day. That's the right perspective. That's, that's, that's what it is. Now, I was with Greta that whole afternoon. It took quite a while before she actually died. And some of the time, she said some bizarre things. Excuse me, my throat's a little dry. She, uh, her husband, she was a farmer's wife, and her husband, one time, they had a Model T. And she occasionally would say, He's, he keeps tooting the horn at me. She'd come out of being unconscious. He's tooting the horn at me, telling me to hurry up. Well, that probably had happened sometime before. But one thing I don't think was a delusion, just before she died, she was having struggle breathing. It was, it was very labored. And suddenly she sat up in bed and stuck her hand straight up like this and fell back dead. Now, you'll never convince me that she didn't have the Lord taking her by the hand. To die is gain. Well, heaven, that's where we're going someday. My wife and I have gone on some vacations that we really enjoy, and before we go to a place, I always kind of do some research to find out what is there to do there, what is there to see. And I've thought a lot about heaven, and I've, I've been compiling a list of people I'd like to see in heaven. I'd like to see, meet my grandparents. My mother's parents died before I was born. They were saved. My grandfather was a Roman Catholic. Uh, they had nine kids. My mother was the oldest. My mother was the first one saved in her family, and she was attending a Baptist church in Bay City, Michigan, and George Bernard, the author of The Old Rugged Cross, was an evangelist, and he was coming to their church. And she invited her mom and dad, her dad was curious. She had never met anybody that wrote a hymn. And George Bernard only wrote one hymn, Pastor. Can you imagine that? The old rugged cross. And uh, my grandfather went, my grandfather and my grandmother were both saved that night. And I've never, they died two years before I was born. I'd like to, I've heard about them all my life. I'd like to meet them. I'd like to sit down and talk with them. I'd like to see my mom and dad again. This is Christmas time, and my parents are both in heaven, and I miss them. I'd like to see my in-laws. My father-in-law was my pastor when I was a teenager. I married the preacher's kid. And uh, he was my fishing buddy. And, you know, he, he became a, a close friend as well as my father-in-law and pastor. He was pastor as long as he was alive. And I miss him. Can't call him anymore and ask for advice. I'd like to sit down and chat with him a little bit. And my mother-in-law lived with us for four years. We took care of her. And she died January 2020. I'd like to sit down and talk with her. She was, she, 
she had dementia and she would occasionally go to the calendar and be looking at the calendar and we said, Mom, what are you looking at? What are you looking for? She said, well, I'm looking to see the date of my death. I said, Mom, that's, that's not in the calendar. <laughs> we didn't put that down. Nobody knows that. Well, I'd like to know. Aren't you glad you don't know the time of your death? Yeah. Well, she, you know, now I can tell her it was January 25th, 2020, day before my birthday. I'd like, to, I'd like to meet some Bible characters. I'd like to sit down with the Apostle Paul, but I expect there's going to be a long line, so we got all eternity. It's okay. I'd like to talk with Peter. I'd like to meet Thomas. I'm named after him, so yeah, I'm kind of interested in him. And, and the others, John. I'd like to talk to Paul, and I'd like to meet David. And what was it really like to face that giant? Lord, do you have that on videotape where I can kind of see the real thing? And Moses, that crossing of the Red Sea, that must have been something, huh? I'd like to talk to him firsthand. Well, heaven's a place we're going to be able to do that. I'd like to talk to some characters in history. I, I'm curious if, if some of them are there. <laughs> George Washington was a Christian. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, people question. He's one of my favorite founding fathers. But he, you know... He was not a deist as being portrayed today. There are others that I'd like to sit down and talk with. Did you know David Crockett was uh, related to a Baptist preacher? Uh, his father, I think, was, had, was a lay preacher. Um, I'd like to talk to them. I'd, I'd like to meet them. I've, I've studied their lives. And one of the amazing things to me is I read biographies. For instance, Teddy Roosevelt taught Sunday school most of his adult life. He had a big, thick volume on his life story that I read a while back, not one time mentioned his church. We're kind of erasing that part of our history. Well, heaven's a place of reunion. We're going to see our loved ones again. When my mother died, I stood by her casket and I said, Good night, Mom. I'll see you in the morning. Because that's what it is for the Christian. You and I sorrow not as others who have no hope. Now, I've been with people with no hope. I've had funerals for people with no hope. That's a bad experience for a pastor. John Pustai was a man in my church in County Line Baptist, County Line Baptist in Coopersville, Michigan, my first church. John was Hungarian reform and very staid. He, he had worked in the foundry. He had iron lung. He had black lung, or black lung and, and symphysema and a whole bunch of other lung problems. And it was just every time I went to see him and I present the gospel, his wife came to our church. He didn't. I'd come to his house and visit him and talk to him, present the gospel, and he'd say, "Well, I, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments. I love my neighbor," and he did. I mean, he was a moral man, and he would just say, I, "I'm just, you know, I have, I'm reformed, and I was baptized," and he would all these good works and things, and could never break through. I had a missionary come and do evangelism training for our church, and I said, I've got a tough customer. He's in the hospital right now. Would you, would you mind going with me? And so he said, sure, and so we went there, and I let the missionary present the gospel to him, and John again, you know, wall was up and couldn't get through, couldn't get through. Finally, the missionary shrugged his shoulders, looked at me, and said, Tom, would you just read Ephesians 2? eight to ten. And as I started reading, oh John, big tear started flowing down his cheek. And the missionary said, Would you like to be saved? He said, Oh, I sure would. 
Now John, John never did make it to church except for one time. He wanted to be baptized. And I said, well, you're, you're going to have to talk to your doctor first. And so he did. So I said, well, what did the doctor say? He said, if I'm baptized, he said, it'll kill me. If I immerse him, I could not take the shock. He said, it'll kill me. I said, okay, John, you know the Lord understands. He said, no, I still want to be baptized. Ever baptize somebody, Pastor, that thought they might die doing it? I had a nurse, I had emergency people ready on hand. We put him in a chair and I baptized. He didn't have any problem at all. John couldn't make it to church, but he, you know, he, he talked about heaven. Everybody that came in contact with him, he'd talk about heaven and how to be saved. And he said, I can't go out anywhere, but I said, John, pray that people would come to see you. And every time John went in the hospital, he led his roommate to Christ. But his sister was unsaved. And at his funeral, as I was preaching, she started screaming. My brother, my brother, my brother. Screaming. We had to escort her out of the church to finish the service. No hope. No hope. I had the privilege of leading my mother's great uncle, Gus, to Christ. But his wife was unsaved. I had his funeral graveside. And at the graveside, we literally had to pull her out of the grave. She kept wanting to jump in. She just wanted to die. No hope. No hope. But for you and I, when we die, to die is gain. Heaven. Heaven. It's a place where we await the resurrection. Turn over your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now that's the resurrection, that's at the rapture. The verse, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, should be hung in every nursery in Baptist churches, I think. But you think about it. This chapter on the resurrection, they're sown corruptible, they're raised incorruptible. We're sown mortal, we're raised in. When you die, your body and spirit are separated. Your body goes to the grave, your spirit goes to the God who made it. But one day they're going to be reunited. But the body that comes out of the grave is going to be far different than the one that went in. It'll be a glorified body. No more aches and pains. No more weakness. I just recently, uh, last month, had cataract surgery. And so for 40 years I've worn glasses. And I'm still getting used to the fact that I don't have them to push up once in a while. Uh, but you know, I, I'm going to get new eyes in heaven. Uh, I had got a haircut this week, and the uh, barber said, getting special instructions. said, well, as long as you're taking some off, could you put some back? <laughs> I said, well, I pray I can't do that. Well, I'll have a full hair, head of hair someday. I'm hoping for a slim body myself in this new body, but, you know, new body. Place of resurrection. Grave is not the end. We don't sorrow as others who have no hope because we trust in the living God who promised us eternal life. Well, 
It's a place of reunion. You'll see your loved ones again. It's a place of rejoicing. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16, verse 11. Joy unspeakable. Uh, you heard probably about the little second grader whose teacher was talking about heaven to her class and describing the streets of gold and describing the beauty of the city and all of the things that were there. And one little girl said, I think I'd rather go to Disneyland. <laughs> well, heaven's not temporary. It's not a day or two. We'll be there forever, forever and ever. It's a place of reward. For when we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. It's a place, a place of reward. I think heaven will be a place where we'll be amazed at the impact we had in people's lives. People that we didn't even know. Uh, one of the advantages of getting older is when I visit churches, sometimes I'll have somebody, you don't know it, but when you were pastor in such and such a church, I gave my life to Christ, or I was saved. Just heard this week of a young man that who had influenced him that just graduated from seminary. And, you know, that's the blessing of time. And, but what, what heaven will be like is all the things that happened that you, didn't even, you weren't even aware of. The sad part about heaven and that reward is the Lord saying, now this is what could have been, but you weren't willing. You, know, you could have, but you didn't. So there will be tears in heaven, but God's going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. That's number one. Now, if you've settled the question of where you're going when you die, that should take care of pretty much life. What do you fear? If God be for us, who can be against us? If you, if you settle that one, if you settle what happens when you die, well, the only question that you might dread is how you're going to get there. Um, but it should be settled in your mind. So we have peace. These things have I spoken to you that you might have peace. Now, next thing is, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a helper. Now, before I get to that, let me explain a little bit here as well. Most people read John 14, 1 to 6, as though Jesus was in a 2,000-year construction job building you a mansion or a room in a mansion. I don't think that's what he was talking about. Although he's preparing a place for us in that sense, what I think he was talking about is, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again to receive you unto myself. Where was he going? He was going to the cross. At Christmas time, we celebrate his birth. But he came to die. He came to die for you and for me. So he said, I'm going to go away. Then the next thing he said, now, I'm going to go away. But that's a good thing for you because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter, he calls him. John, a little bit in the chapter, he's describing this one who will come. He says, uh, I, will, and I will pray the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another Comforter who will, be with, who will abide with you forever. 
when Jesus was on earth, he could only be in one place at one time. But he said, listen, it's to your advantage for me to go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, a helper, who will abide with you forever. Now, if you look down at, at, in verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it knoweth, seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, I've circled the word with and in because that's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's before Pentecost. He was with the believer. After Pentecost, he's in the believer. Romans 8 and 9, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The word of God says in 1 Corinthians 12, for by one spirit we're all baptized into one body whether we be bond or free. You have the spirit of God. He is the seal. When a man gets engaged to a girl, it is customary for him to give an engagement ring. That's a sense of earnest. That's the pledge he's going to go through with the promise of marrying that girl. When you buy a house, it is not only a down payment. Before you even get to that point, you're, you're negotiating a deal. You may be asked to put down some money that's called the earnest money. Well, the Holy Spirit is the earnest it's God's pledge to you that he will do what he said he would do, that he'll keep you. You're sealed into the day of redemption. You have the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, you have all the Spirit of God you'll ever get. The question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Are you yielded to the Spirit of God? Now, in the chapter, he explains some things that the Spirit is going to do. He, he will teach you things that I couldn't teach you because you're not ready yet. In our spiritual growth, there are times when we can receive truth and certain things, and sometimes you can't. One of the amazing things about the Bible is I've read it many, many times, and I keep finding new things there. It's not that they're new things. They were already there. But the Spirit of God directs your mind to those things. How many times have you been troubled and just opened the Bible and started reading, and the very verse that you needed just kind of leapt off the page? That's the Spirit of God. It's called illumination. The Spirit of God will teach you. Now, if I was one of the disciples, Jesus is going to turn over all of his work and he, all these things you've been learning for thir three years. How in the world am I going to remember all this stuff? How am I going to know what to do? What will I know what to say? I'd be frustrated with that. Jesus says, don't worry about it. The Spirit of God will bring all things to your remembrance. He'll help you. The Holy Spirit's our helper. The word comforter is used, spirit of truth, Holy Spirit. Those words are all used in this section. But my favorite is that helper. He's the helper. When you read the Bible, it's unlike any other book you've ever read because the author's sitting inside you helping you to understand it. He's the teacher. He teaches you all things. Well, the Holy Spirit's a wonderful partner. He convicts of sin in chapter 16. He describes what he'll do. Uh, those are all ministries. Oh, you read it yourself. So take the time this week to read this section of scripture and just underline the things the Spirit of God will do for you. It will encourage you. Because we're not alone. See, the child of God is never alone. We never, never are alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, the world's getting bad. It's okay. It's all right. I'll help you. And then hope. 
Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but if I go away, I will come again to receive you unto myself. I've read the last chapter of the book. It comes out real good. We win. The king's coming back. When he comes back, he's going to straighten out the whole world. Now, in chapter 16, verse 20, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, and the world shall rejoice. Ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to die. On the road to Emmaus, after the resurrection, Jesus walks along with two men, two disciples. And he says to them, why is your countenance fallen? Why are you so sad? And they say, haven't you heard that Jesus of Nazareth, whom we thought was the Christ, was crucified? And then he said, oh, foolish ones, it's slow to believe. And they opened the scriptures and explained to them how the Christ had to suffer and die, but he would rise again. You and I have hope. There are words that are associated with Christmas, joy, peace, but my favorite is hope. Hope. We have a hope. These things that I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. Twice in the passage of Scripture, chapter 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You and I get in trouble when we let our heart run away with us. We need to not let our heart do that. To stop doing that. Just remember the promises of God. Stand firm on his promises. We may, in this world, you will have tribulation. You know, Jesus didn't promise things would always be easy. I remember being told before I was saved, if I had received Christ, all my troubles would be over. That didn't work out for me. Because that's not the promise. Annie Johnson Flint wrote a poem that I have enjoyed, that I'd like to share with you. God hath not promised, skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised, sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised, strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God hath not promised, we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He hath not told us that we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God hath not promised smooth roads and wide, Swift, easy travel, needing no guide. Never a mountain, rocky and steep. Never a river, turbulent deep. But God hath promised, strength for the day. Rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above. Unfailing sympathy, undying love. Jesus said, these things have I spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world... You'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world.
Jesus was speaking prophetically. He went to the cross where the devil threw everything at him he possibly could. The world did its worst. Mankind piled it all on him. Even God got in the act and poured out his wrath upon the Son of God, and he conquered it all. He rose again the third day because in him we have peace. Claim it. It's yours. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you as Savior and Lord. And thank you for these words you've instructed. Thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit that comes to help us and to guide us. Thank you for the promise of heaven that when we die, we're going to a better place where our troubles will be over forever. Our trials, our temptations, gone forever. And then, Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have that secures our soul and serves as an anchor to our soul. In Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.